Um, you as a job seeker, are you applying to companies that you actually care about and want to stay? Fall recruitment is the most important time of recruitment for all major companies. And I would just say, think about it like this. The bigger the company is, the more proactive they are about their recruitment. So all the big companies, all the big tech companies, all the Fortune All right, welcome, 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 welcome to this episode of the How to Get a Job podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about fall recruitment and career fairs and anything related to this amazing time of fall recruitment where most of the jobs are being filled. And for for today's episode, I have Dan Meehan. He is the founder of Gradvance and Performance Marketing Manager at BT. Dan, how are you? Hello, Daniel. I'm good, man. Thanks for the energy. That is good. And the, and the instruction. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks. Good to connect with uh, our bro from across the pond. Yeah. Uh, so across, you know, across the pond, same name, same industry. Right. And I, and I love it because we can have this conversation about the fault recruitment, both, you know, in the UK and in the United States. We can talk about the similarities, the things that are different and both coming from a point of view of a hiring manager that both have represented and been at career fairs representing the other side of the table, not so much the student side as well. So, uh, Dan, you know, what got you into career coaching? Yeah, man. So, um, I mean, it started from really from my personal journey um, of being a, a grad or a student who wasn't quite sure what to do with my career, right? So when I graduated from university, I kind of expected, you know, these jobs and opportunities just to be handed to me without really giving it much thought, much intention. And that really wasn't the case. So I ended up applying to loads of jobs and got rejected from loads of jobs. I was like, oh, okay, this hasn't worked out very well for me. So I ended up moving back home with my parents. Uh, I spent a good six, seven months on the job search before I did get my first job. Um, The first job was okay in terms of experience, but it was a bit of a desperation uh, acceptance of a job. And I quite quickly realized that it wasn't right for me. So I had to quit that job after about 10 months. So if you kind of fast forward from university after a year, I was essentially unemployed again, um, feeling pretty lost with no hope, right, in no direction in terms of where I wanted to go. Um, and it was at that point that I decided to kind of take my, what I'd call, you know, the job search, I suppose, a little bit more seriously, focus on kind of where I went wrong, you know, seek advice, seek, seek mentors and network, and really focus on the things I could control, like, building a great CV, job search strategy, you know, focusing on certain roles. And we might get into this in a little bit more detail later, right? But um, it essentially worked. I went from, you know, pretty much a 20% pass rate in terms of getting through to the next stage to over 90%. I ended up getting offers and job um, job offers and interviews and final stages from all of my dream companies, including my current employer today. That's BT, one of the top tech companies in the UK. So um, when I joined the company, it kind of happened organically, really, where people started messaging me on LinkedIn, you know, they started seeing that I would got this role, big graduate scheme, you know, UK, and they were like, can you help me out? And I was like, you know what, I think I might be able to. So I helped my first person. Uh, and it just took off from there, really. And that's how it started. I thought, you know what, it, what, what an amazing thing to be able to start a company to help others like me sharing that pain and trying to help them get through it. Now, so that's how it all started. I love the story and the progression and the journey because like, you know, if you're listening, you can relate to like the struggle of like, you know, struggling to get a job. And I think, you know, at least for me, the way it is driven in America, it's like, 
you assume that if you go to if you have a degree from an American university, they're going to you're going to come out with jobs like it's like it's like you're guaranteed to get into the middle class and have a job lined up. And in the reality, I don't know what the stat is in the UK, but 66 percent of people graduate college without a job lined up, like two thirds of people graduate college with a, without a job lined up. And I think that's a massive uh, failure uh not so much on the students, but I think it's also on the university side. So I do blame a lot on the universities uh, for not doing the right prepar, uh, like not preparing the, the 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 job seekers enough. Maybe they do a good job on the technical side, but they definitely lack on the on the on the soft skill side. Um, so, you know, we were talking about what to talk about together, and I think one to- one topic that we both really felt like it would be a really good one was fall recruitment. As we were recording this. Uh, about a month, a two month, a month and a half away fall, from fall recruitment, I think is a perfect timing for this episode as people can prepare for fall recruitment. But what is why is fall recruitment such a big deal for, for you in the UK? Yeah, so I think it, um, it probably we were speaking about this before, and it, it works quite similarly, I think, in America as well, where um, they're kind of you know graduate recruitment and entry level recruitment tends to happen in like cycles, you know, and it kind of tends to fall in line with the academic years as well, you know, when third year or fourth years begin to graduate, kind of September time, August, September is when all the graduate schemes seem to open up. So graduate schemes in the UK is kind of like your leadership programs, for example, in America, where big companies um, will open up these training programs and they'll put you through and it might be rotational. That's kind of one option. But generally speaking, a lot of entry-level jobs open up around this time. That's why it's really important to prepare. Um, And I think if you can start the preparations now, ready for that moment that time of august september when those those opportunities start to you know open up you can be first in the door um you can really target the what the companies that you're looking for and essentially you know get yourself secured onto one of these programs so yeah very important time in kind of graduate recruitment um in the uk yeah i i, I think it's important to just kind of describe and review kind of like what the recruitment cycle is at least in america and i think it, it sounds like it's very similar in the UK, and it's all really revolves on, hey, as a company, how do we become proactive about hiring the best candidates? And if you got to think about a company, you say, okay, as a company, and if you're talking about technology or services like consulting or the big four accounting firms, um, you're only as good as the talent that you have, right? So, so you're only as, and, and that, and that really applies to any industry. Like you're only as good as the talent, but specifically on the ones that I just mentioned. So if I am one of those companies, I need to make sure that I recruit the cream of the crop, that I recruit the best. And because of that, I want to actually be very, very, very productive. So from a company's point of view, the ideal way to recruit is this. We do fall recruitment and we focus on interns. Let's say that I am hiring 100 interns, right? Um, Then I'm going to try to recruit as many of them for fall knowing that they're going to do their internship in summer of 2024, right? So if we're talking about fall 2023, they're going to do their internship in summer 2024. And ideally, they'll do their internship, and at least 80% of those interns, we will then offer them a full-time job. Now, that's ideal both from a candidate perspective of saying, hey, I got an internship at, at Google or BT or a big four accounting firm a year in advance pretty much. And then I have a job offer in August, September, of two semesters before I graduate. And that's super ideal because you, you're like, you can enjoy the last two semesters of college. You know, as long as you graduate, you're not going to get your offer rescinded. As long as you don't get in a lot of trouble, 
because you will get a background check and a drug test two weeks before, generally around before you start. But that's the ideal. And even if we don't hire for interns and we're looking for full-time jobs, fall recruitment still becomes the best time to recruit because as a company, we want to be proactive. And a lot of the bigger companies, they understand their people needs. They have really good people processes. They have really good projections of how many people they need for the finance rotational program, the marketing rotational program, for the project manager or product manager rotational program, for their software engineer rotational program, and you name it. And so I think that's, like as a as a job seeker you have to understand especially if you're a college student the fall recruitment is a much much bigger recruitment cycle than it is in spring in spring they're just trying to fill leftover roles that they might not have been able to fill or people that accepted the job in december or january and then rejected it because they got a better offer so now they're rescinding their acceptance and so they now have to kind of backfill How, do you see a similar pattern in, in, in the uk Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So on the kind of, so internships are a great example of that. Another, there's another um, terminology, I suppose. It's very similar. Summer placements. Yep. I don't know if you've heard of these or um, what they call them now, like sandwich degrees, where you would do two years, have a year of industry experience, and then your fourth year. Um, so you've already got that year experience. And the idea is once you probably work somewhere, it's probably a lot more likely that you're going to apply for that company and get get the job again. So I see a lot of that, you know, um, I, I'm managing now a couple of industry, so an apprentice and an industry uh, industry placement person who are brilliant and I keep forgetting how young they are because they're going back to uni the next year. But, you know, that kind of experience is fantastic. And I kind of wish that, you know, I was that more proactive in my own career at the start. Imagine having a year of industry experience before I even entered the market. That's, that's a fantastic for the job seeker, right? And then from the corporate side, um yeah you get um you know say how it is cheap labor that's effective young uh hungry right who can you can train them up you can bring them in you can put them in through rotations they learn a lot you get a lot of that they get a lot of value from you right they bring new ideas energy enthusiasm all these things that um these types of energy level candidates bring Um, and then hopefully you get a an experienced hire when you come to hiring the second time around so yeah, huge, same, similar kind of, um, you know, thing where different departments, different management teams to come together, look at their budgets, decide on how many people they can take in, HR will manage that. And then you come in and we, we run these things called assessment centers, um, which work a little bit like um, an interview with case studies, like days of like testing, I suppose. That's at the kind of final stage. But yeah, we can talk a little bit about the actual yeah. hiring process that goes into it. But um, yeah, it's very similar. It's just slightly different terminologies. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. And I think if you're listening to this, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, right? I think you need to understand why companies do this. And for a company, it's all about minimizing the risk. So like every company in the world, regardless of its size, you can even talk about the Apple with a $3 trillion valuation, or we're talking about a small business with less than 20 employees. Every time they hire someone, they're making an investment. They're making a bet. And just like when we make investments, whether we're making an investment to go to college or invest or we're making an investment to work with a career coach, we always have to look at the risk versus the reward. And so companies do the same thing, right? They're looking at, okay, what is the risk versus the reward of hiring you particularly? And internships, co-ops, apprenticeships, anytime a company gets to work with you for maybe a summer, 10 to 12 weeks, or maybe a semester, six months, or a co-op, or you're talking apprenticeships that are a year long, that allows the company and you 
to see if there's a long-term mutually beneficial relationship here. Can they see you building a career here? Not just a job. They're not like, if you're going into an internship and you're going into an apprenticeship and you're going into a co-op, they're not looking for you to be there for 10 weeks, right? You have to understand that they will actually want in their best case scenario for you to get a job there. But that allows you and the company to both test try each other, like test drive each other to see, can you see yourself building a career there? Can the company see you building a career there? And if there's a match, the stickiness is much, much higher and you're going to want to come back. The company is going to want to come to you back. That is actually the best case scenario. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, you've nailed, you've nailed it there, right? Because I think ultimately the most cost the most costly part of recruitment of, of, of business is people, right? So it costs so much money, I think on average $5,000 to actually hire somebody, right? Go through the whole recruitment process, make sure they're a good fit, the time allocated towards that, and then it might not work out. And that's a lot of wasted time and effort. Whereas if you have someone who's already been in a corporate environment or, or kind of knows your company or has worked in your company, then you can kind of alleviate a lot of that stress and that, that pain. So you want to see it as a bit of a, practice run a chance for you to build those good relationships with the managers and the HR teams and the people around you. Um, you know, and if you feel like it's the right fit, then yeah, great. But even if it's not for the job seeker, it's a win-win really, if you get one of these things, because you can go to another company and still show that you've got that corporate experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting. So when I was working at PepsiCo, I was, um, I went to this training and headquarters cause I actually ended up getting involved in like some of the recording for the onboarding. I was part of this management training program. And so some of those training videos, if people go on onboarding now, I'm assume I'm still there. Uh, but I was talking to the guy in charge of all this, like the, the like, you know, the people planning aspect of all of PepsiCo, right? And I would I was to ask him, I'm like, hey, like, you know, like you guys have this huge emphasis on retaining like your high potential employees. Like obviously I understand it's important, but how, how do you quantify that? He goes, like, well, I'm glad you asked because at PepsiCo, we've quantified, somebody comes in into our, our leadership uh, management training program, if they don't stay with us for at least two years, their break-even point is two years, we, it costs the company about $150,000. And that's all we can quantify. There's also parts that we think, like it's obviously associated with like, like you taking some of the knowledge that you learn and taking it to a competitor and then applying them. Like, and we can't quantify how that ultimately hurts in the long term, but we know there's a cost associated with that. But like for us, it's like we have to think about every time you have to think about it, every time you go on campus and you're interviewing someone, what are the odds that they're going to be here for at least two years? And if you're not really a high degree of certainty, then it's not worth the interview. And that that also in, it's interesting because that also taught me the lesson of why sometimes you don't get a job when you're overqualified. Because what would, if I'm Dan, like if, if I'm interviewing you, right, and, and you're overqualified for the role the reason why I think you won't be here for two years, not because you can't do the job. No, you're going to do the job. It's because I don't feel like it's going to be engaging enough for you to want to stay here for two years. So then that also becomes be a reason why I have to reject job. you. Yeah. Well, not necessarily after my job, but I think it, it just, <laughs> it comes out like, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think if you have a manager that's not confident and, and obviously those exist, that could be a reason, right? That That's a legitimate reason why if they feel threatened, you might not get hired. No, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, I said that as a little bit yeah. of a joke, but it's it's not necessarily the case. But I think, yeah, you're right. I think it, it does cost businesses a lot of money to hire and train and, and try and retain them. But I think it's, there's, a, there's a couple of things there, like there's the duty of the employer to create an environment worth staying is one thing. 
the second thing is um you as a job seeker are you applying to companies that you actually care about mm. and want to stay because a lot of times i see this kind of spray and pray like approach to the job search where you apply for everything and anything and i fell into that trap as well so that's the reason i got rejected when i, when I switched it to, to a quality approach and i actually looked at the industry the products and services the values of the company like why did I want to work there? You know, did they fit with what I was looking for? When I was able to align the both, um, that's what essentially helped me get the job. But that's also the reason I've stayed in this company for a, a number of years now. And if I flip it on its head, when I'm interviewing for people, we have a scoring criteria in the in the interviews and in the assessment centers, right? A lot of it is down to motivation to join the company. A lot of the questions are geared towards that. Well, why do you want to work here? You know, those standard questions you get asked. It's because we, we're looking for people who fit the values and, and feel like they could be a culture ad and want to stay here for the right reasons. And you quite quickly get found out if that's not you, you know, right? When you're, when, throughout your interview. So, yeah, it's a two-way street in that sense as well. Try and align somewhere that you feel like you can build a career. That's probably the best um, thing you can do as a job seeker. No, absolutely. I think you... I love the, the fact that you're talking about like, hey, when you were doing the shotgun approach, when you were focused on quantity, not quality, that's where it struggled. That's why it took you seven months to get a job after you had already graduated. But when you focus on quality, you started getting the success. And I think it, it makes sense now once we're on the other side of the table and you're like, now that we've been on hiring managers and, and we are the ones looking at the resumes, you can tell, you can instantly tell when someone actually is applying for this job because they did their research and they're a good fit versus where they're just spamming you. And I think it's important if you're listening to this to, to think about this. When you get an email, how long does it take you for you to know this is junk mail or this is something you should be replying to? Like, isn't it something like in your gut, like that you instantly like, no, like, and, and you know, marketers can come up with some amazing titles, right? And make you feel like they'll even put that, like the reply and you're like, oh, maybe like, they're replying to an email I sent and you just instantly know you, you just, you can smell the BS. Same thing for recruiters and hiring managers. hundred percent. And like, you know, I don't want to like out anyone here, but I've had, I've done interviews. I've asked the question, why do you want to work at this company? Right. And you can tell the people who have gone on the website, copied and pasted the values, maybe saw a stat and that's about it. Right. Or the standard one I always get, it's a big company. You know, it's a big company. I want to work here. I was like, right, okay. Is that it? Anything else? You know, I'm probing. I'm trying to get more out of them versus the people who have genuinely done their research, actually care, have seen projects, reference case studies, you know, and then align it back to their own experience and skills and what they feel they could bring in terms of in the long term. It's a totally different proposition and, and it's a totally different ball game. And I'm going to score that a five, not a one, right? Out of five in, to, in the criteria. And that's the difference. A lot of the people come to the interviews with, similar skills, similar experiences, especially at that level. It's the difference is that whether your motivation is there. Yeah. So can you tell the story? Yeah. Okay. A lot of people can tell a decent story about their experience, right? You tell a great story and then can you show why? That's, that's, that's the kind of differentiator for me. I think for me, it's the effort, right? Like you could tell the level of effort, the level of preparation. And it's like, you know, it, I think it's part of our human DNA or nature to just like, like, return the favor if i see someone's putting in the effort i'm going to put in the effort like if i see someone that sends me a copy and paste message on linkedin i'm less likely to reply versus if i feel like this was personalized to me and i feel like you took the time to learn about my profile or get ready for this interview 
I'm going to take the interview more seriously. I'm not actually going to give you the whole time. I'm not actually going to give you the benefit of the doubt versus I will instantly know, like, you know, maybe HR will get mad at me for listening to this. Like within the first minute or so, I know if this is going to be worth doubling down on the interview or should I just make this 30 minute interview into 15 minutes because I already know the answer. Like, because <laughs> yeah. in my gut, I kind of feel like the answer. It is subconscious. Yeah. It just happens, isn't it? You can just tell, you get a feel for it. You can tell that this there's a person who might have a couple of other interviews that don't really care too much about this. Yeah. It makes a big difference. And you can, you know, as a job seeker as well, you can do a lot kind of to help with this throughout the job search. It starts before the interview. It starts before the application, you know? Like you said, networking, like asking questions, getting good insights from people, using LinkedIn, doing your homework, it all kind of snowballs and spirals. And it doesn't need to be like hours and hours of research. It can be quite strategic, quite focused stuff that just helps you set you apart, right? Yeah, no, definitely. How would you suggest candidates getting ready for the fall recruitment? I think, you know, now's a great time to start. Um, I think a mistake people make, generally speaking, is is leaving it too late because I think that, you know, these roles that you're looking to apply for, especially if it's like big corporate companies, um, are very competitive. So the role I applied for years ago had 24,000 applicants, only 400 in total were accepted, 200 on the business course, 200 on the technical. I went for the business side. So if you think of the ratio, it's like 1% less than 1%, right? So you have to be in the top 1% to be able to get these roles if you're going for them. Um, and part of that is timing, believe it or not, because if you're late to the party, from a recruiter's perspective or a hiring manager's perspective, these roles are getting filled up quite quickly at the start. Number of applications coming in, they're getting filled down, interviews are getting sorted, they're getting allocated, they're getting pushed into different departments. And so if you're late and you're like a few months late or weeks late even, um, you're now kind of competing and like competing with um, like scarcity, right? Because there's only so many assessment centers you can run, so many interviews you can run as a company. Um, so I think if you're first in and you've proven that you can deliver, show the, show the skills, show the competencies, and you've been visible, that's the peak moment. So I think preparation is key, right? Get an Excel spreadsheet together, list all the companies you want to find, use it as a bit of a job search tracker, know when the opening dates are, have your CV ready, have your you know tools in place. And then when the opening day comes, bang, you're in, you're applying the first day, you get the messages sent out and you're organized essentially. So I think being organized and prepared is that's the first piece of advice I'd give. Yeah, I, I think the five P's, my first manager at PepsiCo told me proper preparation prevents poor performance. And I think it applies so beautiful when it comes to the far recruitment and just the whole job search process. But I think, you know, if, if I can, as we wrap it up, right, like I just want to kind of recap something like so far recruitment is the most important time of recruitment for all major companies. And I would just say, think about it like this. The bigger the company is, the more proactive they are about their recruitment. So all the big companies, all the big tech companies, all the Fortune 50 companies, they are planning their people planning in the summer for new grads and opening up in fall recruitment. And a lot of those programs that Dan was mentioning earlier, that I mentioned earlier, there's in their websites it says, hey, applications start September 15th or you know, whatever date. So it's important for you to create that Excel sheet or create some sort of tracker that you know the company, the role, the day that it opens links, 
people in the, that had those roles before so you can start networking. And my goal to you is that you your resume is already done before then, that you've networked with three to five people per company that either are recruiting for that role or just did that same developmental program the year before and be the first one to apply. So if the application opens September 15th, September 15th, you applied. And that's going to give you a massive benefit. Dan was just mentioning about the timing is so important. But if you're being proactive now and you have those lists and you're applying on those dates and and yes, maybe that week where all of them open, you're, you're going to not have a lot of sleep, it'll be worth it. It will pay in dividends because uh, you're going to get those interviews. And if you do this right in fall recruitment, you're going to get an answer before December. And so imagine you graduating in, this, or in May 2024, having a job offer in December 2023. Imagine how does it feel to enjoy your last semester of the university, having fun with your friends, not stressing out about having a, a perfect GPA, and actually enjoy it because you already have an offer with an amazing company. Any last thoughts? Dan? Yeah, no, everything you said, I absolutely agree with, you know, the people miss the recruiting, uh, sorry, the networking side of it as well. You know, with the, when you said about find people who've just done the program or just been in the role, like that's so powerful. Think People think they need to constantly uh, network with the hiring manager of the role. They, they're quite busy, these people, right? So if you go down levels, the amount of insight you can gain about the recruitment process, the departments, the teams, it's very valuable. And those people are a lot more likely to help and have the time, importantly, to help as well. So definitely agree with that one. The final point I'd like to make on this is just, um, obviously, it's fantastic for university students uh, who are kind of in their third year or final year looking for those placements as well. But don't let this stop you if you are have already graduated from applying for these roles as well. So if you take my case, my personal case, I didn't get onto a graduate scheme until two years after graduating, mm. right? Because the job I got um, at BT, like you said, I got the offer before December of that year, but it didn't start until September the next year. So I was still working, a little bit of jobs, actually did a bit of traveling. And I was, uh, you know, I felt I was a little bit old for this program, but it's not the case. You don't need to be like bang on at university. You can apply afterwards. Um, yeah, and just position yourself. And if you want to go for it, go for it essentially. Yeah, and don't be limited. Like everyone has a different story and journey. And even if it takes you longer, you understand your first job out of college is the star of a marathon. It's not the end of the race. And so you still have your whole life ahead of you and you have no idea what your experiences in the past can actually grow and help you speed up your career in the future. So um, definitely don't do that. Now, before we wrap up, Dan, I know you have an amazing online course and you're building a community. If people that are listening to this podcast want to learn more about your community, your course, and just you, what would you suggest they connect with you? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, so I'm launching uh, an online course very shortly in the next month or two. Uh, it'll be very based around stuff we've talked about here, careers, you know, job searching, getting that job, landing the job, et cetera. And the community on, on the back of that, I think it's important, you know, for people to be able to network with each other, build relationships and also have, have that kind of community feel and aspect. So very excited to, to get it launched. Find me on LinkedIn. Just type my name in, Dan Meehan. Connect with me. Send me a message if you've heard of me on this podcast, that you heard it on the on Dan, Daniel Butera's podcast. And yeah, we can take it from there. I can get you signed up for the waiting list so you're first to hear. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll put definitely put the link to your LinkedIn here on the show notes. So if you guys want to connect with Dan, I highly recommend. Guys, thank you so much for listening and catch you guys on the next episode.
All right, so in this past episode, that interview we just had with Dan, we talked a lot about fall recruitment. But in this rant, I actually want to talk to you guys about how to prepare for the career fair or the career expo itself, right? So we were talking about how fall recruitment is the most important time frame for recruitment for college students. But to me, what's even more important within this fall recruitment is your school's career fair. And most schools have this, and so you should check with your career fair department or your college itself when they are having it. And the reason why this is such an amazing day, consider this your Super Bowl, consider this the most important day of your recruitment season is because companies are coming on campus to recruit you and they're here to meet you. And so the best way you need to do is first, find out the date and block it on your calendar. Second, identify the companies that are gonna be there. Most of the time, your career services center will list the companies and the positions they are hiring for before the actual event. So if you can go and go to the career fairs website, look at the companies that are going to be there. Maybe this is on Handshake or maybe it's on directly with the company's website. You can see and prepare a list of your top 10 to 15 companies and roles that you are most interested. And I want you to prepare. Do your research. Create, create customized resumes for all those roles. Create cover letters for those roles. And make sure that when you go there, you, you talk to those companies. Now, the day of the event is really important that you're dressed to impress. Wear business professional. I don't care if you're studying liberal arts, if you're studying engineering, or you're studying business. Business professional. You can never be too overdressed, but you can always be underdressed. Also, here's a massive, massive tip that most people take for granted. Get there early. In fact, if doors open at 9, get there at 8.45, 8.30. As soon as they let you in, what you're going to realize is that there's still going to be a lot of companies setting up because they're running late and this happens all the time. Don't be afraid to take off your jacket and help them set up. It's an amazing opportunity to show them and add value and start a conversation. Another thing is this. If you're nervous, it's totally normal. And my advice to you is not to go to your top 10 companies first. Go to some of the other companies that you don't care if you mess up or not and let all those nerves flow out of you. And once you're feeling confident, go to your top 10 companies. But here's another thing. You don't want to go to those top 10 companies last. In fact, you want to go earlier in the day because those recruiters and hiring managers that are there representing your dream companies are humans too. And they're going to get tired. Imagine you standing there in the table and speaking to students for four hours straight. You're going to run out of energy, and that is very normal. So if you can get there earlier on within the first hour of the career fair and speak to all the 10 companies, you're going to have a massive advantage because you're going to have their attention. By the end of the day, you're going to lose their attention. Trust me, they're going to be checking their phone, see what emails, see what they missed at work. And so it's important that you go early. Another thing to note, if you live in a university that is not a main city, right? Like an example, University of Florida in Gainesville or Athens, Georgia, University of Georgia, right? Where a lot of companies have to drive there because they don't have offices in that city. A lot of times they work with your career service department to have on-campus interviews the following days after the career fair. And career services also knows this information because they're the ones who reserves and books those rooms for them. 
If you know that, and if you can talk to career services and identify what those companies are, don't be afraid to ask for an interview spot when you're talking to them. This is a great opportunity to say, hey, you know, PepsiCo, I'm super interested in the management training program that you offer. Is it possible for me to, you know, reserve one of those interview spots that you have available for Thursday and Friday to showcase why I think I'm the right fit? You know, don't be afraid. That shows confidence. It's a good thing to do, and recruiters will remember that. Second thing to note, a lot of times those companies, including PepsiCo when I did it, right, they actually have a, they won't be able to interview you until you applied online and, and submitted that assessment. And so you need to be able to do that before the interview. And sometimes that link might expire that same night. So be mindful of those situations. Lastly, have your elevator pitch ready to rock. You know, they're going to be like, hey, tell me about yourself. And it's important that you've done your homework and you understand what the company is looking for. And remember, the easiest way to talk about, tell me about yourself is present, past, future. Tell me about your present. Hey, my name is Daniel. I'm a marketing student. I graduate in May 2024, right? That's your present. Past. What past experiences, projects, internships, classes has gotten me ready for this role? And future. What are you looking to do with your future? Like work for their company and why? So I hope this is very helpful for you. Fall recruitment is really important. Attending the info sessions, the career fair, and all those live events where you can meet human to human other your dream companies, it's really, really important. If you find value in this, definitely give us a like and share it with a friend. And if you're looking for help in your job search process and would like to learn how to work with my team and I, hit the link below and we can talk about how working together makes sense. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys on the next episode.